Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 293 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is November 4th. Wow, we're in the month of November 2013. Time change and everything. And I've got a big show for you this week on the Peristyle Podcast. Got Dan Weber coming up a little later on. Coach Harvey Hyde back in the, his normal spot from the first segment of the show talking about USC's big win over Oregon State in Corvallis on Friday night. If you have any questions or comments, email us, podcast at uscfootball.com or call 206-888-6755, leave a voicemail, or you can even go to peristylepodcast.com and leave a voicemail right there. And let me remind you, please keep them short, under a minute. If there's a minute and a half, two-minute questions, we're really not going to be able to play them on the podcast, so try to keep them concise and short and have a much better uh, chance of being played on the air. All right, without further ado, Coach Harvey Hyde, who talks a little bit more than a minute sometimes. What's going on, Coach? How are you doing? Well, everything's great. I tell you, W can solve everything, especially when you figure you're going to, to a place where you're an underdog and the Trojans went up and played on a Friday night where normally a Thursday or Friday night in Corvallis has made them uh, come home and not uh, in a good mood. <laughs> <laughs> and they went up there and uh, got it done. And I felt they were going to get it done. I mentioned it on the pregame show. I think this team is a different football team than it was uh, several weeks ago. It doesn't have the poor me attitude. No one's talking about sanctions. People are talking about injuries as far as just injury reports. There's no excuses any longer. Of course, there's things you need to improve on. And I think this team has become uh, has a different attitude completely with the offense and defense making adjustments adjustments and I think the roster is now bleeding cardinal and gold and and I think that's what USC football is all about and that is be who you are don't try to be someone else and I think the USC football team is doing that now you're a running football team your pass comes off of the run you don't have to throw the football to either receiver 20 times and break records the whole objective of the football team is to get the W. And when this happens, your line plays better, your backs run better, uh, you become a football team. You keep the defense off the field. And, then, you know, there's certain things why they won this football game. And, and, you know, they won this football game because they made two field goals and Oregon State missed two field goals, one of them being blocked. They made their third down conversions, 7-14, and 14, and Oregon State didn't make their third down conversions. They were 2-11. and 11. They made adjustments in the secondary, in the defense finally, where they've got players playing a skill that they're good at, where they can cover, and they're able to pressure the quarterback with four people. They tried to stunt one time. They audibilized it. They threw a fade rod to Cooks, and Cooks uh, scored a touchdown. So, they got away from that. They adjusted. That's what I call it. They adjusted, and they played zone back there, three interceptions. And in the third quarter, I tweeted out during the game, I said, the third quarter, whoever wins the third quarter will win the football game, 
and they did. They scored 10 points. Oregon State scored zero points. It was 31-14. The time of possession was all USC. 12 additional minutes more of having the football offensively than Oregon State, keeping Oregon State's offense off the field. So the turnovers, and I think the thing that brought the crowd out, they took the crowd out of the game game and stunned Oregon State by their first touchdown pass in the first play for 71 yards to Marquise Lee, stunned everyone. And then when they had an opportunity to watch Buck Allen run, everybody are trying to say, who's Buck Allen? Well, <laughs> I, watched, I watched Buck Allen in the spring, and there was no question in my mind he was a football player, just when was he going to get his turn? And he got his turn. He scored five touchdowns now. He's one of the biggest backs. He's one of the fastest players on the team. And every single time he plays, he gets better. And uh, and I think that's what backs have to do. You have to get backs playing opportunities where they get in a rhythm and they watch the line blocking. They get a feel of it. And the offensive line, with the combination now playing the offensive line, I like it. I like Turek at right tackle. I like Walker at right guard. I like Martin at center, Martinez over on the left side with Wheeler, and I thought they had their best game. They played well, keeping the tight end in and blocking didn't hurt at all because it gave him more time to pass the ball. Now all you do, if you don't get your tight ends back, is you have him block, then come out and run delay routes to him down the middle of the field when the backers and everybody have dropped off or delay drags, and now you have a whole new phase to your offense. So that's my feeling on the game. Congratulations to the Trojans, 31-14, to 14, and, and now you start talking about Cal. I think I did the whole show here in our yeah. opening segment. All I did was say hello, Coach, and then that's what I got. So pretty good. Well, that, you know, that's what Mason always says in our pregame show. All <laughs> I do is introduce you and I go sit down. <laughs> well, before we jump in anymore, uh, we're, there's definitely more show coming. I want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or you can call them at 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything, I hear a Book of Mormons coming out in uh, in L.A. sometime in January. That's definitely one I want to check out. So I'll go to sctickets.com and see what the tickets are for that. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Inside Troy, at Inside Troy. And you can follow Coach Harvey Hyde at, of course, Coach Harvey Hyde. And Coach, uh, that we, I wanted, this is a pretty good voicemail question I think we can start off the show with or I guess continue the show with and then uh, kind of get your thoughts on what's been a, a big turnaround here for USC. Yeah, this is Dougie at the top of the Grapevine, Trojan fan since 1962. I just want to say that uh, this turnaround has been miraculous. Um, I, I love it when we keep the ball on the ground. I notice when we get away from it, we have problems. I like the big play uh, thrown out of that, you know, just surprising them. I, I just think it's all starting to work, and um, Hilton is getting better every game, and Coach O has got the team fired up. Um, Javarius... Buck Allen is playing out of his mind and obviously needs to get the ball more, and I'm just happy as can be. Um, of course, the big acid test is going to be this month uh, with Stanford and UCLA, but uh, looking very good, very happy with the change. Fight on. Well, I like to hear good guys fired up, and uh, thank you for joining us here in the huddle. And I agree with you. I think you have to get better and better every week, and uh, we had Coach O on our Trojan Brunch show yesterday and I had a lot of fun talking to him about getting better every week, working on techniques, uh, giving kids opportunities and putting kids in the proper position where they can best 
uh, play and, and use their skills. And uh, to me, the, 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 the win at Oregon State wasn't that surprising. Oregon State, you know, when you look at them, it lost to Washington. It lost to or it beat Hawaii. They're 0-7. At uh, Utah, they beat them 51-48 in o- overtime. Well, SC beat Utah 19-3 and really didn't have a great offensive night. They beat San Diego State 34-30 in a close game. Colorado 44-17. I don't think Colorado's won a conference game. Uh, they won at Washington State. That's a game SC would like to play over. And uh, they beat Cal 49-17 before they beat Stanford uh, 20-12, and they had to hang on to beat Stanford. Or Stanford beat them, and and, and really Stanford had to hang on because Oregon State was going to score. They had three shots in the goal line didn't make it. So when you you take comparable scores, and and don't get me wrong, comparable, comparable scores don't win football games. But USC actually handled... Oregon State easier than Stanford did. So I think that USC's future is going to be very bright as long as they continue to know who you are and be who you are. Uh, You know, Oregon State's got to still play ASU, Washington, and Oregon. Well, SC's got, you know, UCLA, of course. They've got Colorado. They've got Stanford, and they've got Cal. So USC's in a good position. I I would think and that if they keep improving, they can get one or both Stanford and UCLA. Now, you don't want to look ahead, but you want to look at improvement and getting some players back. I think what's happening, you're going to get some players back in a hurry, but these young players have really stepped up and played well. And you're getting better because they're getting turns, and Buck Allen's getting turns. How many turns do you think Buck Allen would have had if Madden would have been ready to play? So you look at all these things that are positive in the football program. How about the play that Grimble made when he went on the interception, when he went full speed all the way across the field and knocked the guy out of bounds, and they had to go to replay to see if he got in or not? You don't have to pursue like that, but you're playing at a different level. And these are the type of things you've got to improve on. And, of course, the penalty portion of it, you're never happy with penalties. But I'm sorry I jumped off the question, but, hey, thank you for your call. <laughs> no problem, hey, Coach. I, you, can't, you can't shut me up today after a win, okay? No, no, you're happy. That's great. It's great to see. I mean, I, I think USC fans should be happy after this. It was a big win, and the last two weeks have been – Really big wins for the program, setting it up for this last four games where, you know, two winnable games and then two games that it'll be very interesting to see what happens. And it could, you know, a lot of, a lot of different ways this could go. But so, yeah, no worries. We, we understand your enthusiasm, Coach. Um, Melvin had a question. After seeing how well the USC running game works, uh, whether it is with Trey Madden, uh, Silas Red, uh, Justin Davis, or Buck Allen, do you think USC can run on Stanford to the point that the run game can win the game for USC via ball control and effectively use the play-action pass, or is Stanford still too physical for USC? That's from Melvin. Well, you know, Stanford's lost one of their great defensive players in Campbell, number 93. He really is a great player. Uh, can they still? Anybody can, but you have to be able to do what you can do, and you have to do what you do well. You have to continually mix it up. And if you are a running football team, you don't get away from it. You're not going to score a touchdown in every running play. Stanford does it. You've got to be able to continue with your game plan. And 
keep pounding in there, and eventually you get that play. You saw it when Stanford played a couple of weeks ago when they kept pounding in there, pounding in there, and all of a sudden they break it for a big play. So you've got to believe in who you are and, and get it done and get people to step up in there, and then your play-action pass works. Now, Stanford doesn't have the receivers currently that USC has or the tight ends that USC has. So they might have some defensive front people they can play, but you've got to continue to run the football in there so you can take advantage of your receivers outside. And if you don't run the football in there and continually do who you are, then they can't really take advantage of the receivers outside. Because when you have receivers like Aguilar, Lee, Rogers, so on, so on, you've got to respect that coverage. So you still have to keep them out there. So, and you still have to defend them. So what you need to do now is improve on the running game by continually adding different things to it. Like I think a fly sweep would be great. You saw Oregon State run it against uh, SC, where a guy comes across the line of scrimmage to hand him the football. And you cut down in all the pursuit, because right now pursuit is something good. I love what they added, uh, the counter sweep now where they're not just zone blocking, they're blocking down, kicking out, hooking the end, kicking the end out, leading through with the fullback. I mean, this is part of football. You have more than just one style of line play, which I think is exactly what they needed to do. And how about the new added screen that they threw in there? And I love that, the little quick screen right over the middle. That really cuts down on the rush as far as for people coming up the field trying to get you, now they're going to have to stop that, and they ran that well. So they're adding little things. Now they have to develop the tight ends when the tight ends come back. So they get them involved in the passing game, and now they have to cover the whole field. And you've got to add the stretch. They run the stretch once. You can't just run always inside. You've got to run outside. They don't want to run the toss, and the toss is the way they run their toss or have in the past run their toss, it gets there too slow because the backs are too deep. So uh, I think they're getting better. Yes, I do think they can continue to run the football, but that's who they are, and you can't get away from it. In the Oregon State game in the second quarter, they got away from who they were and what happened. 14-14, pass pass interception the whole way. They got away from what they were doing. Then they made a 90-yard drive, 10 plays before half. They got back to who they are. So be who you are. Don't get away from who you are, and that's how you win. That's the formula, Coach. All right. Um, How's that for a short answer? That was pretty good. I was, you know, I was <laughs> a little <laughs> shocked. That's good. No, it's, we're fine, Coach. we got plenty of time, so there's no okay, big deal. We love to hear it. from you. Use a time up. <laughs> um, DC from Culver City had a question. He said, I love seeing Cody Kessler getting emotional and barking at his teammates on the sideline. Do you think that it shows he's gaining control of the offense and finally showing some real leadership? You know, with success, you gain confidence. And with confidence, you, lead, you gain leadership because people start to believe in you. They see the touch that he's putting on the passes hitting those two long passes and having a couple dropped that were right there that could have been touchdowns. One had to be reviewed. So, you know, when you look at this, you start to gain confidence in the guy. And, you know, you could see he was a little confused there in the first quarter. They weren't getting the plays into him where he wants to run the plays the way they're supposed to be run, and they burned three 
timeouts in the first quarter because he didn't want to blow a play. He doesn't want to call a timeout, but he doesn't want to waste the play or have a mistake and, and be off schedule. And then, of course, uh, later on in the game, they had that same confusion, and he didn't want to burn a timeout, and they were talking, and he was still trying to get the playoff, and Marcus Martin snapped the ball, which turned around, uh, almost a turnaround, a turnover in the game, but they recovered the ball, and instead of getting six, they got three. So that's one thing they've got to work on, their communication from the sideline to the quarterback as far as play calling. However that's being done, uh, when you have that many problems, you got to work on it. So I'm sure they'll work on that this week. Something to work on. Well, you you talked about that, and I think that's uh, um, one of the questions that we have here. Um, this is from Jesse in Olympia, Washington. He's a retired sergeant that's wrote in before. Um, he said, the first time in weeks I'm so pleased and elated at the Trojan football program under Coach O. It was the team's most complete game, in my opinion. The only thing I was going to ask about is we're having – why are we having issues getting the plays in? Seems to be like the plays getting to Cody are just taking longer than they need to be. I I can't answer that question for you because I don't know just what method they're using. Uh, it's hard for me to see Clay Helton on the sideline, uh, especially on away games, because I don't travel with the team. So I can't see exactly what's happening or if they're getting the singles in slow or whatever but whatever the problem is that's something that has to be corrected it's got to be simplified uh getting those signals in and uh they will work on that believe me i would as a head coach say we're going to get that worked out and i'd have a meeting yesterday on that to find out exactly what the problems were in having that happen because in close football games that are going to be coming up you can't burn timeouts. You've got to have everybody in the proper place to execute the play. One thing I do like, too, is uh, uh, there's not that much substitution that there used to be. That Maybe they brought Lee in the game and took him out a couple of times, and I thought that was smart the way they did that because they, when they see Lee come in the game, you still run the football. they still got to double cover him. So uh, – I thought that went well, and but that's true. I just spoke on that. I'm glad you noticed that, too. Little things, a bunch of little things you got to correct. Remember, termites, when you have a bunch of little termites, you can hardly see them. They can eat a house down. Big things you see, and those are easy to correct, but the little things you got to correct. And once you get those corrected, then you got a chance. You know, the, it kind of brings up the point that we talked about having Clay Helton on the field versus up in the uh, in the box calling plays. And I, I talked to a former uh, USC quarterback, and he said that actually he didn't know, you know, if it would be better one way or the other. But he said the communication is really quick between the the booth and uh, and the sideline. So he didn't think that was really going to be all that, that big of an issue. And, you know, certainly I think they're still running pretty much what Lane Kiffin's playbook was or something, you know, very similar to that. So I, I don't know. It's hard to say what, what – if you know, would their things be simplified? Have they simplified the playbook? It's really hard to say, but um, it seems like that was an issue. Certainly, when Lane Kiffin was calling the plays, and I think it's gotten a little bit better, but it still it still shows up sometimes where there's some communication issues or just taking a little bit too long. Well, the play call it takes too long to call a play in uh, Coach Kiffin's play calling with all the different terms they use. It's like the pro techniques. You've got to keep it simple. 
they are sort of they're using the same terms, but you can't change all the terms. But they've simplified the offense a great deal. They really have. They've taken a lot out of it, and they've made things uh, uh, more part of a series. You've always heard me talk about series, series, series. You got to have a series. Well, there wasn't really any series established in Coach Gibson's offense. I mean, I called it the 31 flavor offense. Uh, one of every play in, in the history of football, and uh, just play and, and you know, that, that's I didn't understand it. I wanted to hear him explain the, the thoughts of it, but now they're starting to make it simpler. Players are having fun. They understand who they have to block. Now they just got to get the plays in on time. And these are little things that'll make you a better football team. You got to be fortunate. You could overcome those things this past game and how could you overcome them you know why because you're a better football team usc was a better football team than oregon state i said before on the pregame show with mark mark uh marcellus wiley and max kellerman they i was on with them and they said oh coach how can you say that and i said what do you mean how can i say that i mean if i said marcellus would you change rosters with oregon state and he's, well, the USC's players were all hurt. I said, they're not all hurt. Their backup players are great players. Just give them the opportunity to get in there and play. Step up and play and execute. Buck Allen, uh, these linebackers, Ferraro, the other players are stepping up and playing. Allow them to step up and allow them to play. And uh, these players are great players, and they'll be able to do that. Make things happen. Now they're starting to have some playmakers. Remember, you keep uh, you kept hearing me say, somebody's got to make a play. You got to have some playmakers. Well, you know who's making plays? Buck Allen's making some plays. Cody Kessler is making some plays when he throws those passes. Uh, the secondary are making some plays when they intercept three passes. People are making plays, and that's because you're putting them in a position that they can make plays. You are playing man all the time and blitzing and put those poor corners on an island. And they couldn't do that. But now you're rushing with four, putting pressure. Even a couple times I saw him dropping uh, eight. Beautiful. Beautiful. Make a guy thread the needle. Change it up on people. And uh, I think the defensive front of USC is one of the best defensive fronts in the country. It still is, and a lot of teams can't handle it, obviously. So, uh, moving on is what? <laughs> well, we have one more question, Coach. That was uh, only one breath, too. That was, that's impressive, too. Uh, I just have one last question. Uh, this is from John in Orange County. He says, am I correct? This is a hard-hitting one, so be, be ready. I don't know. You might not even want to answer this. You might have to talk to your lawyers. Um, being facetious. So he said, am I correct observing that when Lane Kiffin was a head coach, he was always dressed differently than the other coaches on the sidelines. And I know, Coach, you watch this stuff. So uh, Coach O wears the same, quote-unquote, uniform as the other coaches. Is this just a different management style? Definitely different results. That's John from Orange County. Well, John, you're pretty observant. Uh, yes, there are coaches that do that. There are some coaches, if the assistant coaches are in dark uh, shirts, they're in a white shirt. If some of the coaches are indifferent, they're always – they want to be single out on who the head coach is or they've got a jacket with the collar up and the shades or whatever. You notice that. They <laughs> want to be distinguished as the head coach as long as you're winning. Now, 
when you're losing, you see those coaches put the other shirts on, that the same shirts that all the assistant coaches have. They put the collar down, they take the glasses off because uh, they have nothing to be wanted to be seen about. So, yeah, it's an ego portion of, of coaching, and coaches have those things about them, and there's a certain way that they coach and dress, they're just like generals. Uh, if you notice, their uniform's always different than what the uniform is supposed to be of the day. And uh, some coaches think it's a big deal. Some coaches don't think it's a big, big deal. Uh, I think Orgeron wore, Orgeron wore huh? like a, a sweat. I think he had like a Cardinal sweatshirt, USC sweatshirt on or something in this last game. I, yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. You noticed that too. But I don't know if the other – I didn't know what the other assistants were wearing. If the they other were, coaches oh. didn't have that on. No. They didn't? Okay, so he was wearing something different. All right. Yeah, he was wearing long sleeve Cardinal uh, pullover – sweatshirt no collar if you notice you know uh, regular thing so yeah you know he wore that casual day at the office yeah it was a casual day at the office and uh but yes uh, kiffin uh, coach kiffin used to walk in on uh our walk through the walk through at the coliseum in a three-piece suit two-piece suit uh, i used to tell him all the time man when you're through with that suit let me know <laughs> when he used to walk by me, just sharp. Coach O, when he walks through on the walkthrough, he's in a short sleeve shirt with his, not coaching pants, but his khaki pants on, cheering to the crowd, got his arms up in the air. It's just a different philosophy. You see different philosophies. Some teams travel in coat and ties. The entire team. Some teams travel in their sweats. Coaches, too. So it's the philosophy of the head coach and his personality and what fits him best and what image he wants out there for himself and maybe what the university would like him to fit as far as an image. Those images are what they sell as far as in marketing and all of the above. All right. Well, good stuff. I know we had to end on a <laughs> a uniform or a – but people care about it. Like I, I need to notice this more, Coach, because I know people ask these kind of questions all the time. And I'm, you know, what kind of color shoelaces guys are wearing? Are these Polish? What about these hats? Are they visors? Whatever. Um, don't usually notice it unless it's something weird. Like when when Lane Kiffin wore like the the white like ski suit uh, at Oregon a couple years ago. What the, the biggest win I think of his tenure beating Oregon at Oregon in 2011. And I, I thought that was ingenious because of the he wanted it to look cold for the recruit <laughs> for the recruits like hey you don't want to come here it's freezing um i thought that was great one of the, the high points of his uh career there but you got to know this is stuff more coach i guess because everyone's everyone's paying attention well yeah people do and if you have questions like that please please uh call in or write in or whatever you do and we'll be happy to answer them and i'll just give you my experiences with them i've told you on the air a lot of my experiences and how you set examples to uh, players and teams before games on what you wear and how you act and and how kids observe uh, how the head coach looks or feels or uh, and his confidence and what he says during the week to you as a player or to a team and, and what he says in the media. Those kids read all this stuff in the media. Kids read all of these websites. Kids read about all this stuff that's going on. And... Uh, uh, so it's, it's they, they read into what he's trying to pass on and what he means by it. So they got to stay focused, uh, and uh, 
We'll see what happens at Cal. Cal Cal's a very important game for USC because you want to continue the m- momentum and the confidence and uh, get ready for Stanford, but you don't want to talk about Stanford. Stanford's got enough on its hands this weekend against, not this weekend, on Thursday night against Oregon, which would be a great game. So uh, SC's got to hope they go up to Cal, they go up there and get well, they have a good game. And Stanford's coming off an Oregon game, which uh, is going to take a huge effort by them. And maybe USC can capitalize on that. Yeah, they do get a couple extra days to rest. But, yeah, can't look ahead. This team is definitely not good enough that you could look ahead. But if there's a winnable game on the schedule, Cal certainly looks like that would be it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to tell you something. This is not a bad football team. When you go back and you look at this football team, beginning of the year, if – they are who they are and do what they're supposed to do. They beat Washington State, okay? They damn near beat Notre Dame, which is too bad they didn't beat Notre Dame. And then the other game, Arizona State, I'll give that to Arizona State, okay? They outplayed the Trojans. They did. Uh, that was a changing of the guard that night. But uh, when you look back, if you hadn't lost to Washington State, Maybe there wouldn't have been a changing of the guard. So uh, you just march forward, you don't look back, and you count them up as you go. All right. Well, great stuff, Coach. Thanks again for uh, coming on the show, and we're back in the normal time slot there. We'll uh, talk. look forward to talking to you next week after USC plays Cal. And thank you very much, guys, and uh, look forward to being back with you next week. And thanks to uh, Southern California Tickets and everyone else. We'll be back in uh, – a minute or so with uh, Dan Weber talking more USC football. Fight on, Trojan fans. We're all very excited about this season. My name is Louis Tangay, and I'm the managing director of Circle Marketing. Like USC, Circle Marketing has a long track record of success. Ours hasn't been on the football field, though. We have been very successful in helping the small businesses of America get the kind of marketing strategy and support previously only affordable by large companies. For example, by going to circlemarketing.com, you can view our portfolio, read our case studies, and see how we were able to increase business by 90%, grow social media followings by 10 times what it was when we started, and how our websites and marketing strategies have helped our small businesses reach and exceed all of their marketing goals time and time again. So come visit circlemarketing.com today, read our case studies and testimonials, and see what we've done for other small businesses like yours. Then contact us and find out what we can do to help your small business too. Circle Marketing, the company that fights on for your small business. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got Dan Weber who was up in Corvallis over the weekend checking out USC's victory over Oregon State. Dan, what's going on? How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Seems like old times, except not the old times at Corvallis. It's like <laughs> old times other places. So there's uh, teams in the P. Carroll years, but uh, that was uh, that was fun. Everybody, I think, from USC who uh, who I, it reminded me first game I ever saw at USC 2001. I ever saw since I moved here, and I wasn't covering them yet. But my wife was for the LA Times. It was at Tucson, uh, and they made a couple of plays in that first Pete Carroll team and came from behind and big interception and won the game. And they had the big celebration with the band after the game, and the fans stayed there in the corner of the end zone. And I remember I didn't I re- didn't remember having seen anybody else do it quite like that. And it was you know real. 
that was a lot of fun. And I thought, okay, this looks like kind of a cool, cool place the way they do this. And uh, yeah, Friday night, you kind of had that same, same feeling where you know, this is fun, and uh, especially fun when uh, there's nobody from the other team left and nobody you know yelling at you except for a few <laughs> people watching all the UFC people having fun. Uh, it really was kind of a return to what you had remembered made USC so special uh, once Pete's run got started. Yeah, to me, it, it seemed like you, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously USC won the game. It was a, a tough opponent. It was a tough place to play. But you didn't look at the game and say, wow, USC just played like a convinced, like they just played really well. I think they played decent. But it, did you feel that they played great? It's, but they, I don't think they played great, but they still played good enough to win the game and win it convincingly. Yeah, I think that was the way. Actually, a lot of Pete's teams played. I, I don't think you know, they, you know, they, they, they there were the ups and downs, and uh, you know, team, you know, Oregon State came back and, and tied them at fourteen and the pick six. And but um, but what was different was the ability to say, okay, we're gonna you know just take the ball, run it right at you, and there's nothing you can do. Or the thinking and USC's kids that you know don't kid yourself. You're not coming back and taking this game away from us. We've worked too hard. I mean, after the game, when you talk to the, the players, it was a lot of that, uh, you know, we've worked too hard. We're not going to let you, you know, get back in this game, not really. And th- it was that sense of how USC used to do it, where you didn't have to play great, but you just were better. I mean, you just, you know, were, were uh, kind of, you know, you weren't going to be beat. Uh, you weren't going to give in, and uh, and that's exactly and, and that someone was going to make a play. I thought the other the other night the thing you saw was uh, playmakers stepped up. Guys, that was a big theme of of Pete's run, of guys making plays, and you saw it, you know, from Buck Allen to Silas Red to uh, to the secondary guys one after another, uh, Josh Shaw and you know Deion Bailey. And, uh, you know, Buck Allen, uh, with, you know, with his obvious, you know, three runs that were, you know, just a, made it look so easy and yet uh, really special plays. Uh, the two passes, you know, to, uh, you know, Nelson and, and Marquise. I mean, that's what I think has been missing. You haven't seen playmakers step up and make plays, and I think that's kind of the place this is going. Is You know, it's one of the reasons you – you want to look back and say, man, isn't there any way you could play Washington State and Notre Dame <laughs> again? Uh, because you get the sense this was coming. Uh, I thought they, they had coached them up so well during the week in terms of going hard, going fast, but not you know, trying to run 100 different plays and not trying to you know, be the, you know, have the whole focus on the play caller, but on the play execution and on the confidence level. And on the willingness to do things that if you were scouting USC, you wouldn't have been ready for those two uh, passes to start each half. It's just, there's no way you're looking for that. So here's a team, they used fewer plays, but uh, they were much more difficult to defend. I mean, much more. Uh, you know, I would think if I'm the defensive coordinator for Oregon State, I think, man, this is not a good night for me to have to try to come up with a. Uh, you know, a defensive game plan because USC uh, was was able to do different things. And one of the things that USC can do, if they can run the ball, 
then they can throw the ball deep. And, uh, and I think they can run the ball when, they're, when they don't have to be thinking first on every play, on all the different, you know, variations and possibilities. But when they've got enough, just, you know, number of basic things that they're going to do to you and that they can do them well however you line up in them. And uh, that's what they did Friday night. Uh, well, we got some questions, and I uh, got some interesting ones. I wanted to uh, run by you, Dan. Rundy is going to start off. He said, uh, SC's running backs are killing it right now, yet I never hear anyone in the media mention Tommy Robinson. Where's the love for Coach Robinson? That's from Rundy. Well, I think I, I, think I mentioned him, uh, how he intervened, for example, with Taylor Ross just the other day on, on something off the field. Uh, where he, you know, went, you know, went to visit him, and how, how, you know, broken up he was over the fact that uh, the injury for, uh, you know, USC's uh, basically scout team tailback, and how impressed the, you know, the Ross family was with his uh, concern. It was his third injury, and yet Tommy was the first coach to come by and and spend time at the hospital. Got the other coaches all involved, and then. Uh, Talking to you know Ed Orgeron and wrote that last night, where Ed you know gives all the credit to Tommy, said he's one of the best uh, uh, running back coaches he's ever been around, and he is. He is really. I mean, I don't think you know we knew. I mean, I, I think we did. I I wrote about him. I sat down with him in the summer, and, and he, you know with his history that you know started back uh, uh, when he was uh, you know kid and. Alabama and uh, admiring Bear Bryant so much, and and he played for a guy who coached at Kentucky that I knew, and uh, he's just kind of old school, kind of old school Southern guy, but he spent you know some time in the NFL. He came from the Arizona Cardinals, so but he hit, he hit coasted places like Miami when they were really good, and uh, I think he's going to be a factor, not only in the being smart and tough, but from what I understand. You know, with the kids that they're, they're recruiting, he's become a real factor. He's just uh, what a solid guy. Uh, I, you can't say enough good things about him. I mean, they, you know, it's not uh, you know, just an accident that those running backs are playing like they are. And, he's, you know, he's the guy responsible for uh, Buck Allen. I know there were a few of us <laughs> who were Buck Allen guys, you know, for a long time. <laughs> but once Tommy got here... The whole approach to Buck changed, and Tommy was the guy who Ed said, as soon as Ed took over, Tommy said, Buck, we got, I love Buck. We've got to play Buck. We've got to figure out a way to get him in there. So, uh, so you know, Tommy's getting his credit, and just the way the players are playing for him, the way he's been able to, you know, introduce uh, – I mean, they're running four tailbacks now, obviously, Trey – only had the you know the one carry and smartly I think decided that uh, there's no sense in you know risking further injury and and Ty Isaac might have uh, you know been in a couple of situations where wasn't exactly the right time but I think you have to take you know sometimes you have to take the bad with the good uh, just to incorporate everybody in there everybody feels like they've got a role now I mean this is a team you know that just lost DJ Morgan for the year and. Uh, and Justin Davis, as good as he is, is also gone for the year. And yet, you know, what they did to Oregon State the other night is just, uh, you know, 140 yards for Silas and 133 for uh, 
for Buck is uh, it's pretty amazing, you know. And you know what happened the the week before, uh, you know, against Utah. Probably, I think that's almost one of the best signs of the fact that they could come back from that uh, really underwhelming performance, learn from it, and get it right the next week. Uh, that's a really good sign. That was one of the things that never seemed to happen at USC previously is they, they would learn from what they just did and get better from it. And, and we probably, a lot of us made mistakes thinking things like, well, that ought to convince them. They have to learn from that. They will learn from that, won't they? And they often never did. Uh, this team does, I think. This is the difference in the ability to look at the Utah game and realize, okay, now we've got a shuffled offensive line. Uh, we're going to be missing a, you know, a three-year starter. What do we do? How do we prepare? And I think they prepared as well as, as you possibly you know, could. It, you probably got to put it in perspective a little bit. Oregon State, you know, as much as enthusiasm and excitement there was for and, you know, the, the passing combination of, of Sean Mannion and Brandon Cooks, they hadn't really played – you know, the meat of their schedule is coming up. You know, they got, you know, Stanford, Washington, and Oregon, they finished the year out. So they had gotten to that game, and I know some of us are thinking, I'm not sure how solid, you know, they really are. You know, it didn't look like maybe a team that was legitimately, you know, a ranked team, uh, but you, you have to show that. You have to go in there and push them around and not allow them to, you know, to get you know to get started doing what the you know the things they could do well, and USC didn't. I thought that's that's how you win games like that. That's what USC hasn't been able to do in past years in Corvallis for sure. Uh, well, if we're going to talk about the running backs, then we're going to talk about the offensive line too. Uh, Mike in Santa Barbara wants to know: Did the offensive line show actual improvement in this game, or was the improvement a result of poor uh, Oregon State defensive line? I don't think Oregon State's defensive line is any worse than you know, you know Washington State or, or uh, you know maybe maybe Utah's a little better, but um, uh, yeah, they should. They, well, I think what they did was they were not asked to do things they couldn't do. They weren't asked to, you know, they weren't asked to be an NFL defensive line, making you know all sorts of adjustments. What you know the one thing you didn't see, you didn't see any whiffs. You didn't see those gigantic misses where two guys both go the wrong direction and the guy at the point of attack comes through and, you know, just nails somebody in the backfield. Uh, I think you saw more man-on-man blocking. I think there was much more emphasis on winning your individual battles. They simplified it that way. And uh, I think with this team, uh, that's the way to go. I think you saw the old John Martinez, you know, where he just, you know, really drills people. He's pulling and, and running, and uh, you saw, you know, they all, we, they saw the film. Uh, Andre Walker, best career performance, you know, ever. So, you know, he might have gotten a, a couple of penalties, which, you know, he gets his number called for. But after watching the film, they just thought he played, you know, couldn't play any better. They thought Max Kirk had a really good game at right tackle. So, uh, uh, really, uh, really, you know, they improved. Yeah, they they definitely improved. 
Um, yeah, yeah Orderon talked about that on the uh, conference call last night, too. It just seemed like it was a, a, such a great effort from the, the offensive line. You saw the results with the running backs. And, uh, and you mentioned Ty Isaac also, Dan. And Kevin in South Orange County had a question about Isaac. He's saying that Ty Isaac sure looks like he could be a mirror image of Anthony Barr. Same size and build. Any chance that coaches say to him this off say that to him this off season and move him to defense? Uh, I mean, I I'll be honest. I've seen Anthony Barr at place. I, I don't, I, and and I like Ty, and he's a really, really good looking athlete. But Anthony Barr, there aren't there are very few people in the country who are, you know, you would say are a mirror image of Anthony Barr. Uh, could he be there? I'm not sure. I, I don't get the sense that there's that uh, that desire to go over, you know, to defense for Ty. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting thought, and I guess you know might be uh, you know determined somewhat by you know now that we're seeing Scott Starr back, and I thought Jabari Ruffin looked like he was in the mix pretty well the other night. So, I, you know, I don't absolutely have a have a uh, you know a feeling of, of that's the way uh, you know. Uh, Ty's going to want to go. He looks more like a big, you know, upright finesse, you know, a finesse guy in a big body. And I think he's somebody who catches the ball well. And I think there are going to be things you can do with him as he gets more and more, more experience. Uh, I do think probably a couple of the play calls when he was in probably weren't the ideal calls to make in the, uh, in the situation where, where he found himself. But, uh, but, you know, with this person, you know, with these numbers and all that, I think USC has to be open open to anything that makes sense. But I think a lot of it will be, you know, is determined by uh, the player's own, you know, wishes and feeling, you know, how, where, you know, how important is it to be on the field and how uh, comfortable would he be making a switch like that. So, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think that's in the cards. But, uh, you know, if Ty said he wanted to do it, uh, you know, I think it's the kind of thing they, you know, they might accommodate him. But uh, it gives them kind of an interesting change, change up. I mean, all of their backs right now are kind of change of pace to the other guy, change of, you know, style and what have you. So the more they're able to kind of take advantage of that with with different guys, I think it really. I know uh, watching the other night, you could tell they saw so much of Silas. Uh, and the way he runs, and he's got a particular style, and he's, you know, kind of a little hammer. And then you put Buck in, and you run, you know, the same play, and Buck's maybe a step or two down the field sooner. And that they, when they try to close on Buck, they don't get there. And I think the two have really worked well together, uh, you know, where Silas can hammer away, hammer away, and then Buck can just ski through. And... Uh, it's uh, I mean, and again, that's and a lot of that's Tommy Robinson and the way he's uh, he's using them uh, together. You know, it just seems so much more skillfully done than uh, than the way the uh, personnel substitutions used to be done, because everything had to go through the head coach, who was also the play caller. Now, head coach says he <laughs> he doesn't pay you know any attention to that because he, he's trusting his position coaches to take care of it. And uh, that's their job, and they're really right on top of it. And uh, it, it just is, is you know, happening much more smoothly in terms of who's in and who's out. 
Uh, let's go to Jason from PA. He wants to know, you just mentioned him, so this is another good segue. Where is Scott Starr? Is he still recovering from last year's injury, or is he just buried on a depth chart? And he also wants to know if Justin Davis or Lamar, uh, Lamar Dawson can apply for redico, uh, medical, redical, medical red shirts this year. That's Jason. No, I don't think I don't think either one of them can. They both played uh, played too many games. Um, but uh, Scott Starr, you know, the number we kept hearing all year long was ninety percent, ninety percent. But he, you could clearly see week by week he was getting in more more action in. Uh, and I think the way they've been doing, uh, you know, practice with the to try to simulate, you know, game speed and having the ones go against the twos where they didn't, you know, quite maybe get the same kind of, you know, injury uh, possibilities with, uh, with the ones going against the ones where, you know, you have a Josh Shaw tackling a Marquise Lee or something like that. But uh, you've seen uh, Scott, you know, much more active the last couple of weeks. And then, uh, you know, Friday night, uh, you know, he gets his chance to be out there for, uh, for more, you know, more time than, than we've seen. And he looks, he looks like he's just about ready. Uh, and, you know, he and, he and Jabari are a couple of, you know, pretty good looking outside linebackers in this, uh, you know, in this system. So, uh, I mean, I think that the way they're grooming them, you know, is working well and without the need to, you know, force Scott in there early in the year when he's really not, all the way back. So, uh, so I think, yeah, I think Scott, they're, uh, they're pretty pleased. And I think Scott is too. Uh, all right, let's see. Let's go to, uh, Earl West LA had a question about the penalties. Obviously that's one of the issues in this game. There was a fairly big penalty discrepancy between, uh, what USC had and what Oregon state had. And it was a glasses ref game, which we, we all know and love glasses ref um but you can he wants to know what's up with the uh, hands to the face penalties he couldn't really see them on tv and it seemed to be in places where you don't normally see those penalties i i don't i just i don't disagree at all i mean this is a game where the first thing that we noticed was you know when when uh, marcus martin's out he's got a bloody nose and the only way you get a bloody nose in a game like that is somebody you know sticks their hand in your face and and, and, you know, and punches you. Well, there was no call on that, you know, so he's out for a couple of plays, and Abe Markowitz is in. And then, then they finally get around to making some calls, and they're, all, they're mystery calls on USC kids, on plays you absolutely, and, of course, they did ever run them back, which meant, you know, the ESPN crew couldn't find them either on, on video. Uh, or they, maybe they didn't want to run them back because the uh, – uh, it would have uh, damaged the narrative of the ESPN announcers as I watched the replay about how there should have been more penalties on USC. Yeah, that whatever. Six, they were, at the time, I guess, in the game, it was six penalties for USC to zero for uh, Oregon State. They wanted more penalties on USC. And <laughs> Glass's ref just love. I mean, has there ever been a guy, I mean, really, he should get a – What's the actors' union? He needs to get a card for the actors' union. I mean, there's a guy. He wants to be on the stage. Uh, he, you know, does anybody ever seem to enjoy calling out the penalties more than uh, Jay Strickers? Uh, I don't think so. But again, that was always the way it was with Pete, and you just have to be good enough so that that doesn't matter, and you just laugh at it and you say and nothing you're going to be able to do about it. 
you know, we're not going to, we're not going to let it, you know, slow us down. And they didn't. But yeah, I thought, I thought those are very shaky calls and, uh, and the kind of calls that, uh, you think Stanford gets to people's, you know, gets hands in people's faces. You think they ever get called for, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a USC curse and it has been for the years. And these guys are, have brought up in this system and the PAC 12 officiating and they know you're, you're allowed to do that. You're encouraged to do that. It's what they do. It's who they are. And yes, he just has to, has to live with it. But mystery. Yeah. Mystery penalties. All right. Um, let's go Boyd in uh, San Ramon. Any insight into the relationship? Between Coach Ed Orgeron and Coach Clancy Pendergast, does Orgeron like the new five-two or three-four defense? And if made permanent head coach, do you think he would stick with Pendergast and the five-two? First time I asked Ed that question, uh, I asked probably February. I don't even think they were in spring ball yet. They weren't. They were just going over what Clancy was doing. He, he just couldn't. Stop praising Clancy. He said, I love this defense. I love way, the way he's doing what he's doing. This is, this is just, you know, he just couldn't say enough for how, you know, and he was a more, you know, the traditional 43 guy. And he just said, this is perfect for our, for our guys. And he said, he loves it. So, you know, he, he absolutely loves it. He lets Clancy, you know, I mean, Ed was a defensive coordinator at Ole Miss when he was the head coach. So this is not a guy who hasn't had those responsibilities, and he said, doesn't have any, you know, he coaches the defensive line guys, and now he lets Pete Jenkins really do the hands-on stuff there. But he said, uh, Clancy, he said, he hasn't, Pete hasn't called, I mean, um, uh, Ed hasn't called a defense, hasn't asked for a defense, totally trusts Clancy and the way Clancy's doing what he's doing. And it's a great, I think, a great relationship. So one would think, uh, they would keep going forward. I mean, basically, they've given up, what, seven points, the defense? And uh, ten points, I see. Ten points the last two games against, you know, not terrible teams. And uh, so uh, I think the results are the results are pretty good. I mean, they, they figured out a way to, you know, tighten up the secondary. I think Ed probably had some input in the, in the move to get Josh Shaw back to corner. I think that was – that was an Ed call. They just had to do something that it wasn't, you know, the two weeks previous, it just was not working. And, uh, and the evidence was there. And I think that was, that's what a head coach I think should do, you know, have that talk with your defense coordinator and then, and then you make that move. Um, then we want to end off. We had a couple of uh, defensive back uh, voicemail questions. I'll uh, actually, I'll play them back to back Dan. So you can, uh, hear them both and then kind of to make some comments on them. One of them's from our uh, former intern, which is kind of funny, but here you go. Hi, this is Otis from uh, La Hignata. My question is, why is it that the U.S. corners have never able, ever been able to turn around to defend the fade past the end zone? Every time, they always defend people straight up and always get past the finish calls on them. Why can't they turn around and have a contest for jump pass? And then here's uh, one more. Hey, Ryan, it's Tyler Kaizen. I interned, interned with you in the summer. What's up, dude? Um, just one quick question. I'll make this quick. Um, 
why I filmed Ryan Henderson in the summer and he actually looked okay, but why is he not ever playing now? Uh, he's never in there. Okay, thanks. Uh, hope to see you soon, dude. <laughs> thanks, Tyler. Uh, but... Hey, dude. Yeah, Tyler. <laughs> dude, man, dude, man from Tucson there. Uh, I don't have an answer uh, for Ryan. I, I think there are times he looks pretty good in practice, too, and, and why he hasn't gotten closer to getting on the field, I, 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 I can't really tell you. He's, he's a little small. Athletic as heck, run, jumps, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, you know, we're not privy to things, and they really don't go out of their way to tell you why somebody's not playing. It's not the kind of thing. And, you know, you could speculate in terms of, uh, you know, assignment consistency or, or whatever. I, I, I just think that's one that it's a good question. You know, this year, last year, the year before, I don't have a good answer. Now, uh, if Ryan could, you know, interpret a little bit, uh, I didn't hear the exact question on the on the first. Oh yeah. Question. It seemed like about guys turning and the cornerbacks uh, not being able to turn and play the ball. Yeah, well especially as, on the fade. He said on the fade routes in the end zone. Just, yeah, I think we've seen this for a while though. But why aren't why aren't DBs going and, and looking for the ball and playing the ball? Well, I think that's what they actually. You know, there was one play like that. I don't know. You know, the one that. Uh, that Kevon fell down on, didn't get his hips turned, didn't get his legs underneath him. And the only one, I mean, I think, and Ed said that the thing they did last week is they really re- worked hard on, uh, on position and angles in the secondary. I mean, you see very few plays where, you know, like in the old days, where there wasn't another, you know, USC guy in a zip code uh, with a receiver. And that's not happening now. I mean, there, you know, there were, you know, there were times there were four USC defenders around a receiver. Uh, the way they played them in the red zone, I mean, it looked like to me they had really good angles. I mean, this is a team. I mean, Brandon Cooks, and I don't disagree with the coaches. He is probably the most explosive receiver in the country, or, or awfully close to the most explosive dynamic receiver in the country. And he couldn't get any separation other than the, you know the one play where Kevon you know slipped and and wasn't looking for it and didn't get turned correctly. But that's the only time we saw that in the, in the game. So to me, that's a, that's a tremendous improvement in, in, in something that, where they really needed to improve. But uh, they've really been working on, on technique with those guys, really, really working on technique. All right. Well, great stuff, Dan, and I uh, hope you enjoyed your trip up to Corvallis. Got a Yeah, finally. Now Berkeley. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got to tell you, this is why it was such a good job coaching. They had given these kids an, a picture of we want you to silence this stadium and then send them home early. And then that was the, the whole idea of playing the chainsaw all week and all that, the idea that here's what we're going to do. We're going to go in there. We're going to shut them up. We're going to get this off our backs. We're going to send them home early. And, and that was the little gathering right after the game on the field, right, you know, when they're picking that up and all that. He wanted them to look in the stands. There's nobody there. They all went home. You can't hear them at all. The only people you could hear were the USC fans, you know, chanting FC, FC. And uh, I thought that ability to put an idea, a picture in the players' minds of what it was going to be like, what you could make it, 
be like if you would only do it. And I thought that's, again, it was always hard to convince, you know, as great as Pete was, Corey Ballas saying, I still remember having a discussion with Pete, don't you have to do something for special for Corvallis? There's something going on. And Pete said, no, you can't take any game differently from any other. And uh, I think in this case, I think Ed did the right thing in terms of saying, yeah, there's something going on. And we got to, you know, make this kind of a special focus for this team. And boy, did it work in terms of preparation and their being ready for what they plan to do you know, in Corvallis, uh, I thought it was, uh, it was as good a week of coaching as, uh, you know, as USC's had in a long while. I thought uh, really, really, you know, really, really good job. Couldn't agree more. Great great job by Orgeron and uh, staff there. So big win. And uh, now there's some, you know, it's interesting. You look at the last few games, some winnable games, a couple winnable games, and then a couple that could go either way. It depends how this falls. It could be a really interesting uh, end of the season for USC. Yeah, and, and I, I do think, you know, you can't go back and change things. But I, I don't think there's anybody who thinks that if the game next week was Washington State or the game next week was Notre Dame, how those might turn out at this point in time. Now, you can't change them. But there is a way that you could make the case, and I know people are say, oh, that's sunshine pumping. Yeah, but it's also more realistic in some ways. But you could be looking at this. You know, again, some people say, well, what if they it just kicked four more field goals that they, you know, missed? They're 8-1. and one. What would we be saying right now if this team were 8-1 and one, heading into, you know, those final four games, especially Stanford and UCLA? Would we be, you know, saying, ooh, I don't know. Uh, I don't think we'd be saying that. And I don't think it's totally out of line to look at this team where it is right now and say it's kind of the equivalent of a team that you could look at as an 8-1 and team uh, in terms of going forward, in terms of showing up. When this team shows up on the field, uh, this is probably not a 6-3 and three team. And so, so I think it, it gives you a different way of looking at, at the four games coming up. Obviously, I think they're doing a good job of only looking at the next game. I think that's another thing that – They've really, you know, been able to focus on and not, not think about, you know, like, you know, the fans do, you know, down the road and thinking about the two big home games and all that. They're, uh, they're really handling it. I mean, they're talking like next week. The theme is we get to go on the road again. This is cool. Winning <laughs> games on the road is better than anything. Uh, that was another characteristic, I think, of, of Peace teams. They really like going into, your, you know, your stadium and beating you. Uh, just almost better than anything. Um, and then the other part of that was they started that home game, you know, that Coliseum streak. It was 34, whatever, the, however many games it was. Uh, and uh, I think the two things together uh, would be interesting to see if that's how they can uh, finish the year out. It certainly will. All right, Dad. Well, great stuff and appreciate you coming on the show. And everyone else, thanks very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll round up another armchair quarterback podcast sometime during the week as well and so stay tuned for that on peristylepodcast.com and thanks again for tuning in
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.